It's five minutes with me. As I crisscross the United States and occasionally the globe speaking with youth workers, and as I interact with them via phone and Zoom and email and Facebook and blog comments, I have heard a growing sense of desperation. Sure, there are arrogant youth workers who convince they're kicking butt because they have the numbers to prove it. But the average youth worker these days seems to have a looming sense of malaise. I love teenagers and feel called to them, they think. But everything I read tells me I'm failing and we can't figure out how to get back the momentum we had before the pandemic. That's a difficult place to minister out of, that feeling of missing the mark. There's a black cloud overhead for so many youth workers. Historically, I've added to this in my own way with my constant ranting and glass half-empty diatribes. But lately, I've been reminded of the good stuff, the, the goofy, awkward, messy beauty in the full part of the glass, whatever percentage it is. There's a subtle arrogance, and I've definitely fallen prey to this, in the thinking that we've blown it. That might sound strange because an honest acknowledgement of where we truly have missed the mark requires a massive dose of humility, but often embedded in much of the conversation about how to fix youth ministry is the unspoken idea that I'm capable, that you're capable of transforming the lives of teenagers. The thinking is, if teenagers don't embrace a robust faith, it was because I wasn't doing youth ministry right. Then if I change things up, I can cause them to be more Christian. And along the way, we've misplaced the gorgeous value of patience, the mundane way of steadfastness and the unflashy path of consistency. We forget that we've taught our teenagers over and over and over again that God uses the most improbable and unskilled to do God's most amazing work. The Samaritan woman who met Jesus at the well in John 4 and understood almost nothing about who Jesus really was or the living off water he offered her. And really, she was a Samaritan despised by Jews and a woman. She'd had five husbands and was living with another dude, sin. But she was the first missionary proclaiming a simple story of come meet the man I met. Could he be the Christ? How about Matthew, author of the gospel book and disciple of Jesus, and among the most hated of all people, an evil, swindling tax collector, buddies with the worst of the worst sinners, traitor of his people, instrument of oppression. Peter, of course, was a hot-headed, loose cannon and a nobody. But then, upon this rock I will build my church, Jesus says in Matthew 16. Even minor characters throughout Scripture fit this pattern. Simeon, the old dude hanging around the temple, recognized the baby Jesus as the Messiah and had the opportunity to pray over him and bless him in Luke 2. David's mighty men, before anyone referred to them that way and before they participated in with God in jaw-dropping feet straight out of the best action movies recorded in 2 Samuel 23, before that they were a bunch of losers, distressed and in debt and discontented, we read in 1 Samuel 22. Or the kid with the weird little lunch of loaves and fish that got to participate in one of the greatest miracles ever, feeding, feeding an entire amphitheater of people in John 6. Even Mary, mother of Jesus, was a teenager with no prominence, no particular standout ministry skills. 
We've told these stories to teenagers as, as, as examples of how God wants to use even them. So shouldn't it make sense to us that God wants to use even us, even you, even me? And doesn't it follow that God will work through us to draw teenagers to to God, whether we have brilliant youth ministry skills or not, whether we have the right approach or not? Maybe the glass is more full than we realize. Maybe the sky isn't falling. The Youth Cartel Podcast Network.